Hey, Inspired Woman, welcome to episode two of season one. In this season, we talk about detours. And so today, our guest is Vanessa Joy Walker. And Vanessa is no stranger to detours. She's experienced major crises and tragedies in her life. She's had issues with her identity, but somehow she's found the courage to seek hope and to seek joy in the midst of all of this. On this episode, we'll talk about her various crises, how they've impacted her identity, and where she finds her calling in encouraging others to seek joy and to seek hope. She talks about the pain of loss and of rejection, And she talks about how experiencing that pain has allowed her to be someone who can sit with the pain of others. We also talk a little bit about church culture as it relates to mental health and therapy. We talk about the whole language around seasons and our expectations that when we go through seasons of suffering or darkness, that we expect the next season to be one of light and of joy. But that's not always the case. To take a listen, and hopefully you will be able to choose hope and your story and the pain that you've experienced will equip you to inspire others. Welcome to the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman podcast. Our guest today is Vanessa Joy Walker. Um, Vanessa is easily one of the most inspiring people that you will meet. She challenges everyone to find joy in the midst of crisis. And I think, you know, this season, our theme is detours. And I think detours is something that Vanessa is very familiar with. Um, um, I think at this point, we're all we're all familiar with the detour. <laughs> I mean, we're in the midst of a major detour right now in this pandemic. And I think, you know, for a lot of folks, it just means, you know, I, I define detours as like a bump in the road, right? So like you hit that bump and it jolts you a little bit mm-hmm. and you may have to slow down um, or it could have some big impacts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a crossroad you're at a place where you need to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be a giant gaping hole in the road um, or the road could just disappear. Yeah. I I love that description. You know, one of the ways I like to describe, uh, you know, finding hope is that, or coming to a place where you're, you're not sure you can find hope is like, you're going along the road and all of a sudden the bridge that you thought was going to be there has been wiped away. Right. And, instinctively the first thought is oh my gosh I'm never going to get to the other side but then when you take one or two or three or four or maybe 10 moments to you know let yourself have a moment and go a little off and then come back you're like no there's got to be another bridge I just have to find it and um you know there's always another bridge on the way to hope it, it just might not be the bridge that you thought you were going to take. Exactly. And so we're talking a lot of like similes and metaphors, right? <laughs> Let's get into it. Like who is Vanessa Joy Walker? And tell us. Wow. That's like, it's a big question to start I with. I know. <laughs> Dr. Keisha, you know, um, who is Vanessa Joy Walker? You know, I would say that I am someone who is really complicated. Um, and I used to think those complications were, uh, 
blemishes or I, I used to think my complicated life was a blemish. But what I've realized over the years that it's all of the complications of my life that actually have propelled me towards the greatest purpose and the best blessings. Um, I would say that I'm someone who is a total control freak and coming to terms with that is very important and letting people know that who love me is very important. I want everyone to know that I understand that I have a problem with Google Sheets and to-do lists um, uh, and you know, it's, it's a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. Well, you talked a little bit about being a complicated person. What, what are those sort of like pieces of your identity that yeah. creates that? That's a good question. You know, I would say one of the biggest things that um, complicates my life is really where my identity was formed and when it was formed. When I was uh, in my early 30s, my husband at the time woke up one day and told me that he didn't want to be married anymore. And, uh, you know, I got married very young. I was 21 years old. And I never imagined in a million years that I would get divorced. I mean, I was one of those people that used to say, I don't believe in divorce, which now I realize is not the best thing because divorce exists. So not believing it is kind of avoiding the, the truth about um, the fact that crisis can happen to anyone, that kind of crisis. Um, but it just, it totally threw me off. And that was a time in my life where I realized I can either go down this path. I can either, I was, it at was that a crossroad. Cross, it was, I was a cross at road. that crossroad. There was a bump or a yeah. hole, or maybe the road disappeared. Right. And then there was a crossroad. There was a crossroad. And I, I had the opportunity to either choose the path of hope, even though I couldn't see what was at the end of it, or I could choose the path of hopelessness. And truthfully, I knew where that was going to end. That was going to end probably in me dying. I mean, there were plenty of times that I really seriously considered taking my own life. And um, it was that point in my life where I just decided to see a therapist. And I had never gone to therapy. I mean, I grew up in the church and my version of therapy was talking to my youth pastor. And I don't want to minimize the importance of youth pastors or pastoral counseling or any sort of uh, mentorship. So important. But there are times in your life where you need someone with a certain level of expertise. And I remember sitting in this therapist chair and, you know, talking about my life and I was going through everything. And all of a sudden I said, yeah, and then, you know, oh, by the way, yeah, I was abandoned when I was a child and then I was adopted, but then I found my biological mother and then she died six weeks later. And then I just kept going on and the therapist was like, oh, whoa, whoa. Can, can you stop for a second? Yeah, let, I'm going to stop for a second too, right? <laughs> because you just dropped a lot, right? And I think what's interesting during this time and during times of crisis is that um, we're forced to look at ourselves and to look at the circumstances of our lives um, simply because so much of the outside noise has been cut off and, and that's what essentially happens in a therapist's mm -hmm. office. Mm -hmm. um, and you're forced to face this mm -hmm. 
what was what was that process like for you um, to decide to go to the therapist? You know, it was without trying to sound dramatic, I would really say it was a life or death situation. I mean, I really, I saw the person who I was intimately connected to at that time spiraling out of control. And the only thing I knew was that I didn't want that for myself. And so I was like, I need help. And um, I, I had remembered some people talking about therapy before and you know, I've been living in New York for a while, and I would say New Yorkers are a little bit more keen on therapy. Uh, and so, um, you know, I just started really looking around, and uh, I found this woman, and she was amazing. Um, and, you know, she wasn't, I'm a person of faith, and she, she has a different faith than I do, but um, she really respected my faith. and and as I have chosen therapists now, like as I've gotten older, I realize that it's not necessarily important for them to uh, share the same faith as me. It's only important for them to really respect my faith, understand and understand how it plays out in my life. That's really, I think that's really important for people to understand. I think I've had the experience of people coming in and asking for a Christian therapist. Um, and being the only person within that system at the time, I would get a lot of clients like that. But um, also having clients of different faiths and being able to still work with them, I think it's really important for people to understand that. So now yeah, you mm-hmm. Yeah, can I mention, I wanted to just highlight something you said. You said um, when you went to this therapist, Vanessa, you were forced to face some things. And you know... I guess that's how I would probably, I would have described it. But as you said that out loud, I realized that now I would describe it as being free to address and face some things. Because once I got there and once I understood that by being transparent and being in a place where I could really allow every feeling, every doubt, every uncertainty to just come out and and get into a larger space there was such freedom and if there's one thing i just so want to encourage people um to do is give themselves room to um to be not okay you know i wasn't okay there was nothing okay about my situation um and it was uncomfortable and complicated and sad and desperate and uncertain um there was so much grief but that grief needed room to breathe so that it could transform i like that i think people don't think of therapy as a place of empowerment in those moments i think mm-hmm. we look that ultimately we'll be empowered to live the better versions of ourselves and live a better life. But in facing those parts of ourselves that are deeply complicated, that are deeply painful, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're free. there's a freedom in it. Um, and once you have that, then you can sort of figure out the next steps. Definitely. And, and not only can you figure out the next steps, but you're then um, really equipped to help others 
in a way that you would have never been equipped before. Um, the insight you gain by becoming intimate with your own pain is so valuable as you move into other relationships. Uh, I think that the longer you work at becoming intimately tied to your own crisis and your own adversity, adversity, the better you are at recognizing pain and suffering in others. Um, and really, I mean, is it, that's the human experience, right? It's, it's about us first, but the goal is for us to work this out so that we can do this, so that we can give and share, whether it's encouragement or comfort or joy or laughter or tears, but so that we can connect um, and lift up. And the more we take care of ourselves, the easier it is for us to empower other people because we're, we're not jealous anymore. We're not thinking, oh, if it happens for them, that means it's not going to happen for me. So let's take a step back into that pain because someone listening or watching may be like, I can't think about helping anybody else right now. Mm. I don't even know how to help myself right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about people being able to get out of bed in the morning and being able to face the day. Like in the midst of all of that, that you were experiencing at that time, what were those days like? Like what were those peaks and valleys and what helped you to sort of, what were those little steps that you took? Yeah, I mean, I think I I appreciate you asking that question because I think so often it's easy for us to gloss over the messiest, ugliest parts of the journey. Um, And even myself, sometimes I want to do that too because it's, it's painful to return to that place, but it's important. And, you know, I remember, um, many, many, many days, um, barely being able to get out of bed. And when I did get out of bed, sometimes I would lay on the floor for six or eight hours. Mm. Um, just hoping that life would pass me by. And, I will say that there was a handful of things that really helped during that period of time. And the first was definitely my faith, even though I was not able to engage with it always in the way that I am am able to now, there was this kind of little, there was this lingering voice in the background saying, you know, you are strong, you are more than a conqueror, you are important. Um, And allowing myself to tune in even just a tiny bit to that voice gave me the courage to at least get out of bed. And, and, you know, um, sometimes it would just be that sometimes the success was just getting out of bed. And then other times the success was getting out of bed and going for a walk. Um, but I began to really cherish and celebrate the smallest successes. And, um, during that period of time, I also got cancer, which I know is kind of crazy, (laughs) but honestly, there was something really beautiful about being stripped of everything 
because what I realized is that even at my weakest moments, um, I had the capacity to step out of bed and choose hope. Mm. And I didn't feel like it. I mean, I just want to make that clear. There was no, I didn't wait for a feeling. What I realized is that if I waited to feel like I was, I wanted to choose. So hope. that's really good, right? Because mm-hmm. I, a lot of times we're like, okay, when I feel better, I'll do X, Y, or Z. Or you're waiting for the fog to lift a little bit. That didn't happen. And you still made a choice. Yeah, I mean, I think I love how you described it as fog because I really believe that if you are right now in that position where there is a fog around you and you're like, I I can't see anything and it's so thick, what I can tell you is the best thing for you to do, in my opinion, if you want to learn from my experience, is to reach through the fog. Mm. Let me tell you, you have to have hope in something. Everyone believes in something whether it's my faith or another faith, everyone believes in something. And to have hope, you have to believe in something and you have to reach out and then allow your body to follow. Mm. And eventually your feelings will follow and they will ebb and flow. But if I would say that during that period of time, I learned very slowly (laughs) to not base my decisions on how I felt. Because most of the time I didn't feel very good. I was either sick or sad or lonely. And if I based my choices on how I felt, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I chose to just take one more step, the easier it was to take a bigger step. And then all of a sudden I began to see things that I could be grateful for. And I, you know, I think that gratitude, and we talk a lot about gratitude in the world. There's gratitude journals and gratitude this and gratitude that. But I think being grateful can, can sometimes be one of those things that you check off your list. Like, I was grateful today. I filled out my gratitude journal. But gratitude is something that is organic and ever-changing, and it isn't something you do once or twice. It's something you step into. And the more you step into it, the more there is, the more there is to step into. And that gratitude begins to transform even the worst circumstances. And it's not that the pain goes away or the suffering goes away. My ex-husband didn't come back and say, oh, I love you. You're the best thing in the world because I chose hope. But the way I operated within those circumstances changed. The way I interacted with my struggle changed. Um, I took back control. And um, when you're in crisis, it can feel like you're out of control. Yeah. I, I like how you talk about stepping into gratitude. And, and I think it's a similar thing with the pain. Um, I think so much of our lives are, is movement. We're moving from one thing to the next, from one place to the next. And again, during this time where the world has pretty much sputtered to, to, to stop, um, we're left to sit in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're left to sit in a lot of uncertainty. And, and if we are experiencing a lot of crisis, we're left to sit in a lot of pain. And so when we have those moments of gratitude, 
it's really important that that we sit in it as well right yeah and and I think again the more comfortable you can become with sitting in your own pain the more comfortable you will be with sitting in someone else's pain Mm. and so often we when we see someone in pain we want to help them and we want to immediately pull them out but honestly often what I needed the most is someone to actually step into the pain with me and just sit there with me for a minute not necessarily um tell me stay there right Uh, not get meshed but to step into with me and allow me a moment to just be sorrowful. Allow me a moment to eat like, you know, banana cream pie out of the tin, like, which I have done many times, (laughs) you know, do it with me and not just give me some like, you know, it's okay. And God has a plan or you got this girl. No, I needed someone to step into the pain with me. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's uncomfortable for people to do that. If you're uncomfortable with your own pain, it's going to be really hard for you to be comfortable with someone else's. You really, I think you're really sharing your heart because your heart is to utilize um, the pain and the detours in your life to to help others. Um, And that's just like really so beautiful. And Vanessa has a book coming out. Um, We can pre-order it. It's called Make Room for Joy. Make Room for Joy. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Um, and we're not going to give you the whole story, but you worked your way through this detour. You found love and happiness again. And then bam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that when you go through a crisis, sometimes you get to the end of it and you think, oh, this is, this is it. I made I've it learned through. the lessons. Yeah. I've... And you know, and I, I used to call it, I, I've entered my season of fullness. I actually mm. don't know what that means, but it, it sounded good to me. So I was like grasping on, you it. know, uh, as Christians, we love seasons. It, it, right. it helps us. Uh, it helps us, right? Like yes, it helps us define I, things. It's just been a difficult season and mm. instinctively you're always like, so that means the next season mm. is yep. going to be the harvest yeah. and the year of Jubilee Yeah, and all those great Amen. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's almost like we get ahead of ourselves or not like we do get ahead of ourselves. And we, um, we get a little cocky. Can I say cocky? Yeah. Cause um, you're like, I came through that fire and I am right, victorious. Right. And, <laughs> and, and again, it, it, what we begin to do is think about, Oh, like how, how is my testimony going to end? How is this situation going to end? Oh, this is how it's going to end. I can see it. The second, you, the second you think that you can see it, let me tell you, what you see is not what is going to happen. And I know that might crush someone's dreams right now because we talk a lot about visioning and a lot about like manifesting it to yourself. And I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's not good to have goals and it's not good to have a vision for what you want, but you have to leave room for that vision to change. You have to leave room for the detour. And one of the best ways that you can be prepared to actually 
attack that detour and do something great with it and make the right choice there is knowing that it's actually going to come. Like say, yeah, you know what? It's good right now and another crisis is going to come or another difficult choice is going to come and that's okay. And, you know, once I, you know, I I did um, find love again and I got married to a great guy. Um, We refer to him in our circle of friends as Mr. Walker. Um, I call him my captain. Yes, you call him your captain. Um, He is, uh, I always say, People are better behaved when they're around my husband. I'm not sure why. He's in charge of stuff. (laughs) You just follow his directions. (laughs) It's really true. Um, So, and what, and and, and, like, I know you talk about him a lot um, in the book and on your blog posts and Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But what's really powerful about him is that he's not the loudest person, Mm. he's not the cockiest person. No, I am. Um, Oh, I mean, story for another time, right? Like how you sort of navigate that within your relationship. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, that, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about him is leadership speaks yeah. without him having to, you know, use a bullhorn. Right. And I mean, that, that just, that really um, kind of describes him perfectly because he's a very confident person. And that doesn't mean he doesn't think he has faults or know he has faults, but he really does believe like this is God made me this way. And, and, um, what's going to happen is going to happen. And my work is unto the Lord and I'm going to do my best. And, and in the uh, meantime, you're making spreadsheets and then, and I'm making spreadsheets. (laughs) But when we got married, you know, we got married in our mid, um, to late thirties. And um, we, like most uh, people at that time in their life, we were anxious to start a family. And uh, at the time that we met, I was in remission from cancer. And I mean, we were just, God had just done so much in our lives in such a short period of time. It just felt like this was it. I mean, there's just going to be blessing after blessing. And then this whole baby thing was going to be the exclamation point to our, to our testimony. And, um, the short story, you can read the long story in the book. (laughs) The short story is that, um, it didn't happen. And, there was a moment where we were driving down the road in our beautiful car that was fueled by faith. And the next thing we know, we slammed into a wall Mm. of crisis and disappointment and loss and grief. And when people ask me, when people don't understand my faith, one of the things that I try to explain to them, and I I don't do a great job at it, is that, listen, when you've been through that, and you've survived it, and your relationship hasn't totally been torn apart, um, you know there's got to be a God. (laughs) I mean, there just has to be. Mm. Because what should have torn us apart actually um, fused us together. And, um, and that happened because of pain. 
Sure. We ex- we've experienced tons of blessings. We've experienced some really amazing things in our life, time together. Um, but the, the things that have really been the most beautiful parts of our relationship have also been the most difficult. Mm. So what, what do you say to the person who, because seriously, guys, when you read Vanessa's book, you're going through, it's like a roller coaster ride. Um, you're like, yeah, she beat it. Yeah, she found this man. Wait a minute, it's back. Wait a minute, there are implications for this. And then we get it together again. And that's the whole notion of it being together and sort of releasing that everything is not in your control, mm-hmm. which we started out this conversation talking about how much control is important to you. Yeah. Um, what do you say to the person that's just like in the midst of it right now? I mean, the first thing I would say is that I see you and it sucks. I mean, it sucks. There is nothing romantic about suffering. There is nothing romantic about being alone. Um, There is nothing romantic about grief or loss. Um, And I'm sorry. That's the first thing I would say. Um, And the next thing I would say was, would be, what do you need? What do you need right now? Do you need a friend? Do you need groceries? (laughs) Do you need someone to pray for you? Do you need someone to make you laugh? I would encourage the person to just take a moment to really get in tune with what they need each moment. And then the next thing I would do was say, we all have the ability to ask for help. And sometimes asking for help is getting a therapist. Sometimes asking for help is calling your friend and saying, listen, I need you to call me every day to make sure I get out of bed. Um, Whatever it is, ask for help. You are worth it. You're worth it. You, by asking for help, you're doing one of the most brave and courageous things that you can do. It's one of the strongest postures you can take to ask for help. Because every time you ask for help and accept it, you are building yourself up. You're building up your own ability to help others in the future. The comfort you receive, at some point you will be able to give back. And I would say every moment, choose hope. And I know that just sounds so like a Band-Aid, but it could just be like, I'm not going to get out of bed until I can say, today I'm going to choose hope. And it might just be that, today I'm going to choose hope. That's honestly what I did. I mean, I when I was sick the first time, and I was alone in Brooklyn, no family. My ex-husband had just left me for the second time. I was going through chemo. I was miserable. And at some point, it would just be every morning, I was like, okay, 
today I'm going to choose hope. And I had a little post-it note next to my bed. And I had a good friend that every time he would come to my house to, to buy me groceries or whatever, he would write something like, you know, get up or, you know, God's got you or whatever. And, um, and I would just read that and I would do it. And, and sometimes I just was miserable about it, but I did it. And I also ate a lot of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not saying that you should totally overindulge. I am just saying that there is something to be said for reasonable emotional eating. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you know, I... <laughs> I know, I know you're a therapist, so don't, you know, everyone, don't, I am not a therapist, so don't take my word for it. I'm just saying that, you know. I think, little... I think what you're saying is that it's okay to comfort yourself. Yes. Um, and, but, but, you know, within reason, because we yes. don't want it to develop into an no. unhealthy habit. No. Right? Um, yes, that yes, leads, Dr. Keisha. <laughs> that leads me to the next thing that I want to talk to you about, which is in your book, you talk about your joy quotient. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so helpful, not just for folks that are just like in the midst of it. I think that's helpful for everyone right now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the joy quotient? Yeah. Um, so really when I went through my last major, major crisis um, with Mr. Walker and my second round of cancer, I started to really get more in tune with the difference between joy and happiness. And I had already been on this journey about like, what is happiness and what is joy and what is contentment? But I began to really dive a little bit deeper into that. And one of the things I realized is that I was defining joy by the way I saw other people experience happiness and joy. And I wasn't allowing myself to define it um, for me. And the joy, joy quotient came about because it was a way of me. It was a way, the way that I created for myself to evaluate where I was with joy every moment. Because when you're going through crisis, it doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow. It, it only matters what's happening right now. And um, to live fully in every moment and to access the joy that existed all around me, I had to really be able to determine where my joy was and either what I needed to get rid of to make room for it, what I needed to do to um, intensify it, and maybe I was okay with it. Like maybe it was okay to just have this level of joy today. <laughs> and so um, I began to think, okay, like what's my joy quotient today? Well, you know, yeah, maybe I'm about, about a four. Well, am I okay with four today? Maybe four is all I need today. Maybe I just need a four, some Ben and Jerry's and Netflix and that's good. And tomorrow maybe I'll be at a six. So how do you get, how do you get it from the four to the six? So um, I talk about, um, Hope is really important. Um, faith is really important. Um, sometimes it is a different kind of equation. Sometimes it's simpler than that. Sometimes it is um, 
checking in with yourself and saying what you need. Um, if you need help with something and you're resisting the um, resisting asking for it, that's going to take away from your ability to experience joy. So maybe the equation for that day is ask for help and be grateful increases my joy quotient today. Mm -hmm. And then tomorrow it's going to be something different. Um, And what I realized is that I used to think that joy was something I kind of had to chase after and find, mm. but then I realized, no, it's something I can actually cultivate on my own. If I can sit down and say like, where am I today? Not what's making me happy. Like there are things that make me happy. I really love this lip stuff I'm wearing. <laughs> it's, it's pretty. It is. It's, it's amazing. It's this right here. Anyways, I love it. It makes me happy. Does it give me joy? Probably not. It makes me happy. But joy is something different. Joy isn't always jubilant. Joy isn't always loud. Sometimes for me, it's quiet. Sometimes it's peaceful. The point is, is that it's, it's, it's what works for me in those moments. And the more I became, become in, in tune with how I'm creating joy, how I'm cultivating joy, how I'm grasping onto it, where I am, the easier it is for me to share it with others. So often we're, we live in this society where it's all about like self-care and self-love and, and self, self, self. Now I talk a lot about Mm self-care. Self-care is important. I'm not very good at it, but we get stuck in that self part and the self part is never going to bring us joy. What really brings us joy is the engagement, the exchange of things with others, the generosity we have with our comfort, the generosity we have with our um, encouragement, the generosity we have with our joy. There is nothing more, nothing brings me more joy than stepping into someone else's pain and watching watching them change because because I just chose to step into it with them. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't have pain myself. And I think you're able to hold hope for others. Definitely. Um, When we begin to do that on a regular basis, it's not hard. It comes naturally. It's easy to share our joy. Um. It's easy, and, and the more we share it, the more we have of it. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of checking in with yourself and recognizing what things bring you joy as an individual and being able to sort of fill that, that bucket back up um, mm-hmm. if it's empty or it needs more. Um, because each day has a different challenge and each day requires something different. Definitely. And, and when you talk about that bucket, I mean, sometimes it's not empty. Sometimes it's just full of stuff that isn't allowing you to fill it up with joy or hope. It could be full of doubt. It could be full of fear. It could be full of resentment. It could be full of jealousy. It could be full of bitterness. And so often what we need to do is first actually address and remove those things and 
get rid of them so that we can actually fill it up with joy. Because what happens yeah. is, is when we leave, when we keep ourselves full of the pain and the resentment and the jealousy, we might choose joy and we might add it to the top, but then it spills right out. Mm. We can't hold on to it. But the more we take- So it's fleeting. Exactly. The yeah. more we get, we remove the fear, we remove the, the, the jealousy and we remove the, the doubt, all of a sudden we're just, we have so much more room for joy. We have so much more room for gratitude. Um, and then it's not hard to hold on to. Mm. There's no effort in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, if I have a moment where I'm feeling sorry for myself or like the little victimy to right. be like, get it together, like little, little self-talk and say, okay, I understand you're feeling this way and how you're feeling is okay. And take a moment to just look around where you are, what opportunities you have, what privilege you have, what access you have, and just has our friend Kanisha would say, catch fire, you know? Right. (laughs) Or as my husband would say, be easy. (laughs) In the Jamaican way, be easy. Um, Because it is so easy to just get so focused and fixated on how you're feeling. Yeah, every time I start getting into it, into my feelings, and I'm like, you're in a comfortable apartment, you have everything that you need, you have food, you know, you see, you see so many people are hurting right now. Yeah. Um, so if I'm uncomfortable or in my feelings, that's nothing. Yeah. You know, yes, it sucks. Sit in it, find the ways to, to be grateful and mm-hmm. find some things um, to sort of increase that joy quotient, mm-hmm. as you say. Yeah. But it's not it's not the worst. It feels yeah. like the end of the world, but it literally isn't for me, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I think that that's actually a really good point. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the best thing you can do to increase your joy quotient is give, give yourself a good talking to. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, give yourself a good, like, okay, let's have a talk. Maybe you need to stand in front of the mirror and do it. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Get it together. <laughs> over the winter, I was teaching over the winter. And, you know, the winter is, I just, I can't, I don't like it. And so literally every morning when I would get dressed, I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, we're going to work. We're going to work. <laughs> okay, we're going to work. <laughs> Listen, sometimes that's what you need. You got to be like, you got this. You're doing this. Yes, yes. So, so we're going to move to our lightning round. I'm going to okay. ask you a bunch of questions. Don't think too much about them. Just answer okay. them as quickly as you can. Okay. Ready? If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, Lord. Um... Oh my gosh, going, uh, being able to go anywhere in the world in an instant. Okay. What's your favorite color? Uh, blue. Favorite dessert? Banana cream pie. Celebrity crush? Oh, Lord. Um, oh, man, I don't even know. Celebrity crush, my husband would probably say he would know. Um, <laughs> gosh, come back to me on that one. Dream vacation. Dream vacation. Um, I've always wanted to go to Morocco. Okay. Guilty pleasure. Um, Man, I'm going to be honest with you. I just loved that Love is Blind show. Oh, my gosh. Another show like that. 
I just couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Judge me. Don't judge me. I just don't care. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. Favorite thing to do that you haven't done in a while? Ooh, entertain. Mm. Oh man, I love to throw a dinner party. Yeah, you're a great entertainer. Yeah, I love to throw a dinner party. Um, I would say that, okay, so my favorite crush is, um, I would say, um, I really like um, Jesse from Grey's Anatomy. Oh, Jesse Williams? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, okay. Mr. Sorry, Mr. Walker. I feel like Mr. Walker might favor him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe actually. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining with us today and for sharing. Follow Vanessa at Vanessa Joy Walker on all social media platforms. Um, and just be sure to check her out. Thanks. Thanks, Keisha. I love you. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit subscribe as we continue on the misadventures of an inspired woman. Follow me on all social media platforms at Dr. K Thompson. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-K Thompson. And check out my blog at www.drkeisha.nyc. I'm so glad that you're a part of our community of goal getters. Be sure to share this with someone else. And as always, be intentional.